the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Six days earlier, before he led Peter, James, and his brother John up on to a high mountain to fully reveal his glory, Jesus asked his disciples who people said he was. Elijah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist. But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Excellent answer. Peter must have felt pretty good. This was his shining moment. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, which means stone. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Now, Peter is not the rock. Peter's confession is the rock. Jesus named Peter after the confession he made, much the same way that we are named Christians after the confession we make. We are named Christians in holy baptism, where we put on Christ and all our sins are forgiven. If, as babies, this was long before flesh and blood revealed much of anything, if, as adults, well, it was after flesh and blood failed to reveal anything of value. God reveals in either case that his Son is the Christ, and we are named after that which only God can reveal. He teaches our hearts to believe it. He teaches our mouths to confess it. He makes us Christians, not we ourselves. This confession is the foundation that no force can overcome, because from this foundation Christ reveals his saving glory. And this is the great theme of Epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation. Jesus manifests his glory as the Son of God in order to elicit this confession about himself from you, that he is the Christ. Christ isn't his last name. Christ is his official title. It denotes him as the one whom God promised to send to be our Savior. Christ means that God chooses him and owns him. And by manifesting his glory in the particular ways that he does, Jesus teaches that his Father desires to own us as well by clothing us in the holiness of his Son. I'd like to review today what particular ways these have been during the past several weeks of the Epiphany season. Then we'll see what lesson we learn, especially today, as we begin this season, we bring this season to a close. Jesus revealed what flesh and blood could not. We begin with the Feast of Epiphany itself. The Magi found God in the flesh as a little child and worshipped him. The glory they saw was nothing more than the fulfillment of a prophecy they had taken to heart. Flesh and blood did not reveal to them where to find the king of the Jews. God's word did. They abandoned the wisdom that flesh and blood had accumulated through the ages in order to seek a brighter light. God led them by a star to his holy word in Jerusalem, and from there it was the written word that led them the rest of the way to Bethlehem. 
The glory they saw was fully veiled. Flesh and blood revealed only a baby. But their Father, who is in heaven, revealed to them their Savior by teaching them to believe the Bible. First Sunday, this child grew in wisdom and stature as he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. What Mary pondered in her heart, her son also took an eager interest in. What she pondered in her heart was what was hidden in his father's heart from eternity. His father's heart. This was his source as God's son. And it was his goal as Mary's son. He was determined to bring us with him. He sought this hidden glory in his father's heart. And he found it opened up to him in the temple of Jerusalem where the Bible was taught. Think of that. Jesus didn't come only to ponder God's word, but to fulfill it. His quest was not to escape his fleshly prison by losing himself in his divine thoughts like most 12-year-olds lose themselves in their silly thoughts. No, his quest was to rescue and honor the flesh and blood he assumed by revealing God's thoughts toward us. For this purpose, even as a boy, Jesus was invested in the things of his father's house because this was how he discovered the hidden things of his father's heart. He who hid his own glory sought the glory he himself was hiding, not by introspective pondering, but by submitting to instruction from the Holy Bible. The Bible taught him how he himself would set prisoners free from sin and death and judgment, Jesus hid his glory, but from the Bible he learned how he would reveal it in time. So he shows us how to find his glory too, by leading us to scripture. Second Sunday, Jesus' disciples first believed in him at a wedding where he turned water into wine. His time had not yet come, so it was something of a hidden miracle. A limited glimpse behind the veil, so to speak. Those brief words say so much when the water turned wine was brought to the master of the feast, who did not know where it came from, but they knew. Remember those words? They knew. They knew because they had filled the jugs with water. They knew because Mary told them to do whatever Jesus said. They knew what role flesh and blood had played. And they knew whose word they obeyed. It was mostly a hidden miracle. And by this first of signs, Jesus was teaching us to find in all of his other miracles a glory mostly hidden. He was teaching us to regard all his greater and more magnificent works in the same way as a mere dim glimpse of the glory that would be revealed when his time finally would come. Jesus first revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. But his glory was revealed like a torch hidden in a jug in the days of Gideon. The victory was still yet to be won, but the light glowed through just enough to reveal who he was, even as he also made clear how much glory was still hidden inside. When Jesus told people not to tell anyone what he had done to help them, it was like when Gideon told the people not to shout or show their torches, until he blew the trumpet, revealing too much glory too early would ruin everything. Third Sunday, 
Jesus had been preaching. He opened up scripture and taught God's will. He taught us to pray to his Father with faith and not doubting. He taught us how to regard our flesh and blood and distrust what flesh and blood might claim to reveal or promise. The law of God reveals more. Such an absence of holiness and surplus of iniquity in our hearts. Flesh and blood lie. Jesus speaks the truth. He preached in order to direct our hearts away from lies to the heart of his Father who sanctifies us with the truth. After directing the multitudes away from flesh and blood, he, our God, who assumed our flesh and blood, showed his power and willingness to care for the afflictions of flesh and blood. His devotion to his Father's doctrine did not make him aloof to your troubles. It led him more deeply into them. With his word, he cleansed a leper and healed a distant paralytic. What only the disciples and servants knew in Cana was now seen by many as the crowds thronged all the more to catch a glimpse of Jesus' glory. But it was still just a glimpse. When his time fully came, he would provide a far deeper cleansing and apply it from far greater distance through both time and space. And he would do so simply by speaking his word. What causes Jesus' glory often to be imperceptible, however, is not his absence of miraculous works. Jesus teaches us that it is our unbelief. He reveals his glory by teaching us always to find it by believing the word he speaks. When darkness veils his lovely face, we rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, our anchor holds within the veil. The glory we heard of Jesus manifesting last week was the glorious power he had over even the wind and the sea, which he rebuked and calmed with a word. He slept in a boat. Darkness veiled his lovely face as he took the posture he had once assumed when the Magi first worshipped him. In those days, all Jerusalem was troubled, but he slept like a baby because he was and entrusted his life to God. Now the sea was troubled. What could flesh and blood observe? Jesus sleeping like a baby, helpless. But once awoken, Jesus revealed his glory by speaking. And consider again how his rebuke revealed the purpose of all his miracles. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Jesus isn't just preparing his disciples, he's preparing us. He was preparing us to find his glory, not where light shines through the veil. Not where we catch glimpses when we think that we need a glimpse but where his word is spoken in clear and articulate tones to reveal what flesh and blood cannot and what flesh and blood doesn't want to hear, but God wants you to hear it because he loves you. And this is what Jerusalem needed. This is what his disciples needed. And it's what you need when your hearts are troubled. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. On this rock our salvation is built. On this rock God builds up the walls of Jerusalem by defending us from false doctrine that the devil invents and the flesh takes such pride in. On this rock which flesh and blood has not revealed but our Father in heaven we find refuge from the sin that aims to own and rule us. We find refuge in Christ, cleft for us, pierced for us, to reconcile us to God and give peace that only God can give to our guilty conscience. And confessing this, we stand unmoved while heaven and earth shall pass away. And so we confess it. We break our jugs and shout the victory so that all our light shines and our voices are heard and the gates of hell shake and our enemies destroy themselves like the Midianites. Though hidden now from mortal eyes, his Gideon shall for us arise, uphold us and his word. And this is how he upholds his word. Jesus came to fulfill it. And so we praise God with words that others have spoken for us. We do so by listening to the inspired scriptures that are read from the lectern. This is God speaking to you. We praise God by listening to the instruction that God has called pastors to explain and apply from the Bible. And we do so with the eagerness that Jesus taught us when he was a child. This is how we grow in wisdom. We ask questions and hear answers from the Bible that challenge our worldly opinions and open up our mind to what God teaches us. We praise God with words that others have spoken for us, also by taking to heart and singing the beautiful hymns that teach us how to put God's word and truth into our own words too. And we defend our faith. We don't take God's name in vain like the heathen do, but identify ourselves as Christians by what we say and do and speak up when the opportunity is there. And good for us. But do not think that we are exercising flesh and blood when we do so. We are subduing flesh and blood by proclaiming the word of God. In any of these ways, we praise God, and by God's grace, we say it well, so that Jesus commends us like he commended Peter. Blessed are you. Not because you figured something out, precisely not. You are blessed, rather, because you have managed to repeat what God has already told you. Or what glory have I been revealing to you? What but the glory that the Father in heaven has been speaking through the mouth of his holy prophets? since the world began. Peter said it well, and Jesus said as much. You say it well, too, when you confess what you have been taught. He who says it well is saved. There's great satisfaction in saying it well. Peter was emboldened by Jesus' praise to keep saying what he thought was pretty good. Immediately afterwards, Peter, still stifling a smirk of pride on his face, Jesus began to 
tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and rise again the third day. But by then Peter had stopped listening. He was on a roll. He took it upon himself to speak once again, taking Jesus aside. Jesus, you know how I say things pretty well, right? Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Heaven knows, thought Peter, such a horrible thing does not befit the Son of God. I know who you are. But Peter did not know what heaven knew. He knew what flesh and blood knew. And he was wrong. Oh, Peter, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Having confessed who Jesus is by learning from the Father, will you now determine what he must do? By consulting your reason? You have seen some measure of glory from God yourselves. You have seen him rescue you from dangers that can only be chalked up to answered prayers. And you tell others about this. You praise him for it. You confess him. And you've seen like glory shining through the veil. What God has so kindly permitted you to experience from his great power from time to time in order to teach you what he taught his disciples while he walked this earth. Your knowledge of who your Savior is has from time to time been graciously confirmed by what he has permitted you to faintly see. And you thank God. You see somebody come back to the church. You see cancer miraculously heal. You see sickness pass and spring come. Unlike Peter, at this point at least, you also know that there is more than that. You've learned what Peter didn't yet understand, and you're embarrassed for him as Jesus changes his name from Peter to Satan and calls him an offense to him. You know that Jesus hits the nail on the head when he tells Peter that he's not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Of course, Jesus must suffer, Peter. Come on. Peter boldly and confessed Christ's person. You are the Christ. Amen. But then he denies his work. You should not suffer. He slipped off the rock. Peter slipped off the Petra. Christ must embrace the cross. We know that. But see where we slip. We must also bear the cross. We must know this too. And as we congratulate ourselves for our clear confession, our beautiful hymns, and our pure doctrine and excellent understanding of Christian hope and love that takes into account more than his person but also his work, we find ourselves no different from Peter still. We find ourselves proud of what our flesh and blood has learned to understand so that when the cross comes upon us, we consult flesh and blood to learn what's going on rather than our Father who is in heaven. How foolish we are too. We are Christians. God has revealed our identity in Christ. We know our person, so to speak. But we are blind to our work. Right after his rebuke of Peter... Jesus said to all of his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't want us to rely on flesh and blood. And so he promises, he doesn't threaten, he promises that our flesh and blood must suffer. He is so gracious. He takes away whatever glory flesh and blood thinks it has grasped. He denies it for a time on purpose. He hides it and it hurts. He hides it so that we might learn to find his glory not where flesh and blood are flattered and pampered, but where flesh and blood and body and soul are saved from hell. Do not think otherwise when your cross is heavy. He is loving you. He is loving you so much. He is directing you away from all the glimpses of glory that amazed you into the brighter light that shines in the darker place. The word of Almighty God which he came to fulfill for you. Peter fell from his shining moment. How miserably. So Jesus showed himself shining to Peter and to James and John. He who reproved Peter for consulting flesh and blood shows from his own flesh the glory of God shining whiter than light from his own face. And from this we learn what Peter learned. We learn not that this is his shining moment where we must stay. We learn rather that the one who carries his own cross to bear God's wrath against all our sin is none other than the eternal God. We see a link between his person and his work, and we note it well. The one who offers himself to die in your place and make peace between you and God by shedding his blood in untold misery and pain is none other than he who is equal to God and loved by God and pleasing to God so that you might be pleasing as well. He took the form of a servant and became obedient unto death for you. God did this. And how do we learn it? How do we discern what Jesus' true shining moment is? What truly is the purpose of every glimpse of his glory? How do we learn but by doing what our Father tells us to do? Listen to Jesus. Listen to him talk with Moses and Elijah. Listen to him speak with the prophets of his impending death on the cross. His exodus, Luke calls it whereby he leads you and all who hear him out of slavery and into paradise. Listen to his prophetic word as a light that shines more brightly than any glimpse of glory. Listen as you bear your cross. Listen while you are on top of the world. Listen when all is bright and when darkness crushes you. Listen in your pride and listen in your guilt. Listen to Jesus, and you will learn what flesh and blood won't reveal, but that your Father in heaven speaks mercy and forgiveness only through his Son who suffered for you. And when, like Peter, dear Christians, listen now. When you, like Peter, who have long learned this glorious lesson of purest divine kindness, when you, like Peter, who have been corrected and restored again and again, 
when you have confessed what flesh and blood have not revealed, and when you have even witnessed what only a blessed few have been so honored to see confirmed in unveiled glory, when you, like Peter, to whom God has given so much, have nonetheless refused to bear your cross, and when the fear of pain more than the pain itself and the promise of pleasure more than any satisfaction that sin is ever able to give, when the devil seduces you to deny your Lord like Peter, and the rooster crows, and you are ashamed, and when you weep bitterly, then learn with Peter to glance not at the shining face of Christ in glory, which disappears in your memory, but to the face of purest patience and mercy. There he shines more brightly, under bread and wine, and through the voice of flesh and blood, absolving you of all your sins. He draws you away from your flesh and blood and mine to his own away from the God that reason invents and to the Christ, the Son of the living God who died for you and rose for you and who tells you to arise and not be afraid. And when you do, there is no one but Jesus standing there. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.